Well, this is maybe an odd selection for a Christmas Day text, I realize. It might surprise you to learn this morning that the only time in the entire Bible where Jesus speaks specifically about His own birth is actually on the morning of His very death. Matthew and Luke, of course, are famous for their birth announcements and the nativity scenes of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, the cattle and the shepherds and the angels. We all know, and I'm sure we've all read those scenes together as families. Mark, uniquely in his gospel, catapults into Jesus' adulthood where Christ has come as a fully grown man at that point, proclaiming the arrival of God's kingdom here on earth. The writer John in the fourth gospel, likewise, like Luke, bypasses the birth announcements of Jesus and begins with the ministry, the powerful testimony even of John the Baptist. It isn't until the morning of Jesus' last day on earth that we come to hear the purpose behind his first day on earth. John chapter 18, verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, that is to Jesus, So you are a king? With a bit of sarcasm dripping from those words. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. There's Christmas. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to Jesus, now infamously, what is truth? What a great question for Christmas Day. This morning, wonderfully, on Christmas morning no less, I want to share with you the, the fifth of five big reasons we've been looking at this month here at Trinity, why Christ came to earth at Christmas the disciple John wraps up the truth of Christmas in one last package for us to unwrap this morning, unless you have a few left over for after church today. We have one more gift to unwrap in the teaching of God's Word this morning. And it is simply this, that Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. The truth that He is the King we've all been waiting to worship. He's the king of kings, and not only that, but his kingdom is a vastly different kingdom than anyone on earth would ever have expected. Maybe a different kind of kingdom that we had longed for, but certainly the kingdom that we all need. He is the king, and his kingdom is a kingdom to enter into. Matthew Henry, a famous English commentator of the late 17th century says, Jesus is a king who rules in the minds of men, but by the power of the truth. That the foundation and power, the spirit and genius of Christ's kingdom is truth, divine truth, and that Jesus conquers by convincing evidence of truth. He rules the world by commanding power of truth. We'll sing these words in just a bit. He rules the world with truth and grace. Joy to the world. But listen, this truth is a truth that not only was announced, it must be received. 
In John chapter 18, we find truth on trial. Truth itself is on trial, though it is a sham and a mockery of a trial. Reflecting back upon these very words of Christ's confession, the Apostle Paul would later write in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Christ Jesus, who in his own testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I've puzzled at times over what exactly that good confession was. Well, in a sense, Jesus simply gave the confession, that is, he testified even both with his lips and with his own very life, just moments later as he hung and died on a cross for our sin, to the truth of his unrivaled, perfectly righteous and good kingdom. He came to bear witness to the truth that you and I need. In this way, Christ has earned the title that was referenced even last night at our Christmas Eve service that is given of him in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, specifically that Jesus is the faithful witness. John, the writer, states in Revelation 1, 4, and 5, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne a kingly reference, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. How could Christ be king of kings, king over all kings, if he did not come first to be the king who was crucified? Now, it's interesting to note that John, the writer of the gospel and the three letters and the book of Revelation, more than all the other gospel writers even combined, mentions that Jesus is the truth of God. In my study this week, I counted 25 specific references to Jesus as the truth in John's gospel alone. The first occurrence of this word aletheia in the Greek, truth, is in the stunning prologue to his wonderful book about Christ, John chapter 1, verse 14, a very familiar Christmas verse, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. Whatever else we discover when we peer into the manger and we understand the person of Christ, We understand that God's gift wrapped up in human flesh is containing two essential things that you and I all need, grace and truth. Not grace devoid of truth, because that would just spoil us, and not truth without grace, because that would crush us, but grace and truth perfectly matched together in the manger of the Messiah. In our passage, John chapter 18, verse 38, the pagan prefect Pilate smartly, if not a bit insincerely, posed to Jesus, what is truth? That's a great question. This would be the final time that the word aletheia in the Greek is mentioned in the gospel of John. I think that's also intentional. Why is that? Well, it is because, as it turns out, sinful men, that is, men who are consumed by their own paper kingdoms, 
and gripped by a thirst for power and are threatened by the truth are not particularly interested in knowing and worshiping the truth. They would rather mock and crucify truth himself than bow the knee of their hearts and worship the one who wants to reign over us in grace and truth. Don't be like Pilate or the Jewish people this morning, friend. What is truth? Just remember back a little earlier in the Gospel of John, back to the fourth chapter, where Jesus, you remember, surprised a Samaritan woman. Of all people, he was willing to speak, not just to a woman, but to a Samaritan woman there by the well. And he explained in that context that the God of heaven is in the business of seeking worshipers, true worshipers, who worship the Father in, as John says, John 4, 24, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, Jesus says, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. That is not just the proper form, but rather the reality of faith. That's what spirit and truth worship is. As it turned out in that ironic text, truth was standing and staring mercifully into the face of the woman. He told me things that no one else could tell me. That's what truth can do for us. Again, what is truth? Fast forward another chapter in John's gospel to the fifth chapter, and we find that John the Baptist, no one ever born of men was as uh, wonderful as John, Jesus says. He came and was sent by God specifically, we are told in John 5.33, to bear witness to the truth. Well, that truth, the only truth, was and is found in a person. His name is Jesus. You'll remember John's dramatic testimony, John 1, 29 through 31. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me, though John was born first. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel." Look, the truth that John's strange yet unrivaled ministry pointed to was that Jesus Christ was the anointed Son of God and the only Savior of humankind. It's a truth that we must reckon with. What is truth? Once again, flash forward with me to see now Jesus alone sitting in an upper room with His chosen disciples. Just a day or so before His arrest and execution. His hour of suffering had finally arrived. Jesus had now shared the Passover meal with his disciples and was about to teach them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, whom he ironically enough calls the spirit of what? Spirit of truth. Spirit of truth will lead you into all truth. Yet Jesus' disciples were worried. They were worn out after their long journey to Jerusalem. And they're confused about the road that lay ahead, especially if it was a road without Jesus at their side. Here again, truth consoles his own friends and lays exclusive claim on, one's, on the ability to bring sinners to a holy God. John 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas, good old Thomas, we can always count on him. He said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And here we have, of course, John 14, 6, that famous verse that we all know. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, the religions of this world may promote numerous pathways to peace and acceptance with whomever or whatever they define as God. However, Christianity sets forth an exclusive claim that the only way to have reconciliation with God the Father and the only way to have perfect peace here on earth is to know and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. There is no other way to the Father but through Him. That is an unpopular truth today, but it makes it no less truth. Listen, the truth bound and tied before Pilate on that Good Friday was not just a way to God the Father. He was the only way. He was not just a truth among many truths here on earth. He was the truth. He was not just a lie, but he was, or a life, he was the life. As John states in John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. He, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, as we remembered and celebrated just last evening. Again, what is truth, friends? Well, again, listen to the words of Jesus as he prays for his own disciples. I think he prayed for us in John 17. In his great high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 13, But now I am coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world that they, that is those who listen to my voice, may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not, meaning his disciples are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in Truth. Jesus came on account of truth. You see, Christ's glorious kingdom is wonderfully not of this world. And praise God for it. This doesn't mean that it is not in the world, because it is. Christ's kingdom's reign is advanced here and now by grace and through faith wherever the Lord Jesus is believed upon in this world. Again, this does not mean that Christ's kingdom is not for the world. If anyone is for the world, it ought to be the church 
but not in the way that the world would expect. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are in the world to be for the world with the gospel of the truth of Jesus. This means, though, that Christ's kingdom does not depend on any power or authority that is found here on earth. That's what it means when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. There's no power source giving animation and energy to the kingdom of Christ here on earth. There are no power outages in the kingdom of Jesus Christ because it is heaven-powered, not earth-powered. It is a heavenly kingdom with both eternal and earthly implications that you and I must face this Christmas. It's the truth of a king and his kingdom. It's contained and clarified and communicated in the very word of God, which is truth. It is a truth not for avoidance of the world, but for transformation of the world. As Paul would put it to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.20, he says, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice what Paul says, the truth is in Jesus. You see, the grace and truth of this king and of his kingdom was embedded in his life and embodied through his work of salvation. John Gill, another famous English commentator, explains the end or the purpose of Christ being born, which was of a virgin, in a very miraculous manner, and of his coming into the world, which was by the assumption of human nature among many other things, to bear witness to the truth in general and to the whole gospel, to the word of truth and every branch of it, which he brought with him constantly preached in his life and confirmed by his death, and particularly to this truth that he was a king and that his kingdom was a kingdom of a spiritual sort. So, go back to John 18 where Jesus is staring into the face of this puppet prefect, Pilate. And he bears witness to the truth. Now, Pilate is no fool. You don't ascend to such an important place and rank by being a fool. Sort of is counterintuitive to me when I look at today's politics, but that's another point. He knew perfectly well that Jesus' enemies had him, that is, Pilate, between a rock and a hard place. John tells us that even after this sordid scene, Pilate sought to release Jesus. Pilate sought to release Jesus, but the Jews cried out, John 19, 12, If you release this man, you are not, not Caesar's friend. For everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. They had no love for Caesar, they just loathed Jesus more. That's how much these Jewish leaders hated the truth about Christ, that they would even be willing to blaspheme the name of God, which is what they did when they spoke against Jesus and said, 
positively, we have no king but Caesar. They were blaspheming God, which is the very crime they accused Jesus of committing. How ironic, how truly sad, but how expected when you peer into the blackness of a human heart apart from grace. You see, Pilate standing there knew that Jesus was completely innocent. We get that sense from the text. Despite his own deplorable character, and Pilate was a nasty man. It appears here in these scenes that Pilate tried everything in his power to set Jesus free. At the end of our passage, we're told that Pilate even offered what he thought was the perfect compromise, a bargain in the man Barabbas. Barabbas would maybe satisfy their bloodlust on this Good Friday. John 18, 39, you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews, maybe trying to stick it to the Jewish people? But they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. His name literally means a son of a father. Barabbas was a robber, a thief, a revolutionary in some translations. But here the truth about us comes pouring out. We've seen the truth about Christ, but now we have the truth about the mob, the truth about man. John 3.19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. That's the other truth we must face today. See, Pilate was willing to have the Lord Jesus severely flogged and tortured, but hopefully released. And yet the mob demanded the release of a murder, murderer, a, a robber, a notorious man by the name of Barabbas. And again, with irony, they cried out for the son of a father to be released when the son of the father was standing there and he was offering to be their king. He was in the world, John says in John 1.10. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of, the will, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we put it together here at the end that Christmas and its truth is simply this that we are confronted with. Jesus is the king but he's the king that we want gone. He's the king that we need to embrace. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied to Pilate. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. But not only is Jesus king, his kingdom is literally out of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, John 18, 36, my servants would have been fighting that I might be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Peter, put your sword away. This is my chosen path. Friend, entering this kingdom requires a new birth. 
in order to press into this kingdom, this eternal kingdom, you must be born again. Following Jesus and his kingdom means belonging to a realm of true righteousness and humble service. True, Jesus' kingdom is unmatched in power and tremendous in unrivaled glory, but it is not expanded through coercion or conflict, but rather through love and through sacrifice. I ask you finally today, do you belong to this kingdom? Well, Jesus tells us how you know you belong to the truth. John 18, 37, the second part, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Back in John chapter 8, Jesus said something similar to the Jews who had believed in him. John 8, 31, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Are you free this morning or are you in bondage? Are you enslaved to the stuff of earth or have you been set free by the one who is king and truth. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and of drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. His kingdom cannot be satisfied by anything that we pursue on earth. In other words, Jesus' kingdom is a truly and authentically spiritual sort of kingdom. It includes the physical kingdoms, but it transcends them. It is beyond them. It encompasses the stuff of this world, maybe even stuff that you opened this morning under the Christmas tree, but it transcends it. It goes beyond it. God's kingdom is not stuffed in Christmas packages. Instead, it is embodied in flesh and blood in a person whose name is Jesus. And you must do business with this king because he is truth. How do we know we belong to this Jesus who is king of the truth? Well, John tells us in 1 John 3, 19, by this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts, verse 23 of 1 John 3, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. That's how you know you belong to the truth, that you have believed in Christ and you behave in love towards God and towards others. The French conqueror Napoleon evidently said, I have founded an empire by force, and it has melted away. Jesus Christ has established his kingdom by love, and it stands even to this very day and will stand. Even somebody like Napoleon was able to get that truth. Do you? Charles Haddon Spurgeon on Christmas Day, 1872, preached about Jesus, the King of Truth, from this very text. Charles Spurgeon said this as I close. Jesus claimed to be a king, and the truth which he revealed and of which he was the personification is therefore the scepter of his empire. He rules by the force of truth over those hearts which feel the power of right and truth. And therefore, willingly yield themselves to his guidance, believe upon his word, and are governed by his will. It is as a spiritual Lord that Christ claims sovereignty over men. 
He is king over minds that love him, trust him, and obey him because they see in him the truth that their souls long for. Other kings rule our bodies, but Christ rules our souls. They govern by force, but he by the attractions of righteousness and love. Theirs is, to a great extent, a fictitious royalty, but his is true, and it finds force in the truth. Close quote. Do you know this king of truth today? Because Christmas is all about the birth of a baby, but a baby who is king. He was born to rule, but rule by his death. His is a spiritual kingdom, but friends, soon it will be a physical kingdom right here on earth. Jesus is coming again. He's a king who was born in order to die to save the citizens of this kingdom. Are you one of, of those citizens today? Let's bow in prayer as I close. Almighty God and Father, this is perhaps a shocking and really subversive Christmas message. But I think we needed to be displaced from the tiny thrones of our own life. And we need to welcome Christ, the Prince of Peace, who is the King of Kings, to be the one seated on the throne of our hearts. Oh Lord, would you in your mercy displace and subdue our rebel souls. Cause us, Lord, to see and embrace Christ the King. Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. Oh Lord, if there's even one today who is searching for significance who's longing for meaning, and they've never embraced Jesus, would today be the day, this Christmas day, may they be born anew by belief in this truth. And Father, we pray as we continue until it is your good pleasure to send the Son and bring us home to heaven. Oh Lord, we pray that you would continue to help us be people that walk in the truth unflinchingly, unwaveringly, that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Savior of all men. May we believe and may we pass on this great truth to others. In Jesus' name, amen.